Let me encourage you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turning with me to our passage this morning, which is Proverbs chapter 2. So Proverbs chapter 2, we will look at all of that chapter this morning as it all goes together. Of course, if you've been joining us, you know that we are in our summer series of the book of Proverbs, which is known as the book of wisdom. So chapter 2 encompasses this whole idea of, of growing in wisdom. So Lord willing, we have been growing wisdom through our time together in this book, and we will continue to do so uh, this morning in Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, since it is a longer passage, uh, we will not stand this morning. We will sit for the reading of God's word. Uh, but let me pray for us as we come uh, to this time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you your word is filled with your wisdom. We thank you we have this book uh, that is specifically and explicitly about your wisdom. This book of Proverbs. And Lord, we thank you how you share your wisdom with us in this. And how we have seen the benefits of following your wisdom uh, in your word, in the lives of others, and even in our own lives. So we pray now, Lord, that you will guide us in our time together in your word. Help us to hear this as your word. May I, may I only speak your truth and your wisdom this morning, and may we all grow through your truth and in your wisdom. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your, your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call for insights, And raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the passive uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. So earlier this year, I decided that I wanted to have my own garden. And so with the help of Eric Cathcart, I planted my first vegetable garden. I know some of you have been doing this for years, but I was really excited about it. Now, it's not as impressive as some of your vegetable gardens are. You go over to 
Eric's house, you go over to Bruce's house, and they've got rows of vegetables and all sorts of, of vegetables and myriads of kinds and so on and so forth. And they got their overalls on, they're chewing on stalks of hay. They just have the whole gardener, uh, farmer motif down. My garden consists of six pots that have six vegetables in them. And I'll run them down for you. I know you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Broccoli. No, no broccoli. No broccoli. We've learned our lesson this morning. Two tomato plants, an eggplant, which I don't even like eggplant. So if any of you want an eggplant, come to my house. You can get it. Uh, bell peppers and some herbs. Right? That's, my, that's my little mini vegetable garden. Uh, I've jokingly insisted my family now think of me as a gentleman farmer. I'm making my transition from being a pastor uh, to being a gentleman farmer. Uh, but I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed having these uh, pots of vegetables on my back patio, uh, watering them, uh, figuring out how to do this. And uh, I don't know if this is true for Eric or for Bruce or others who keep gardens. Uh, I find that when you're doing this, it can lead to some philosophical musings uh, about the nature of garden, why and how. And so at the risk of oversimplifying it, I think that gardening, as I think about it, is rather simple in its essence. Gardening is simple. We think about it this way. Plants want to grow. It's in their DNA. They were made to grow. When God made, when God made plants, when he created all plants, he placed in their DNA a desire to grow. So my job as a gentleman farmer is to help them grow. Putting them in good soil, getting them the right amount of water and sunlight. And that's my part of growing a garden. It's just that simple, right? They want to grow, give them water and sunlight, and they'll grow. Of course, we know that can be more nuanced, right? You have to know the pH balance of your soil. You have to know the right amount of water each plant wants and sunlight and so on and so forth. But gardening, in its essence, is simple. Plants want to grow. They need good soil, they need the right amount of water, the right amount of sunlight, and they will grow. Gardening 101, courtesy of a guy who's been gardening for a month and a half now. You're welcome. We find, that's true for Christians as well, it's in the Christian DNA to grow. It's in the Christian DNA the desire to grow. That when we know Jesus in faith, when we love him because he first loved us, we find that we have this desire that we want to know him more. We want to love him more. We want to be more like him. It wasn't there before faith. It was implanted in us through faith. That we now have this DNA, this desire that we want to grow. Spiritual growth is the part of every Christian's DNA. A desire to grow in faith, this faith that God has entrusted to each of us. Now, this isn't just what we find in the book of Proverbs, we find throughout Scripture. We find Peter addressing this at the end of his second letter. As he's closing up, one of his last words is he tells the readers, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter's last words, last words in this letter, his final counseling, counsel and teaching to the Christians is for them to grow, spiritual growth. And as we read that passage and we read all that letter, we find that the implication is, is that this is continued growth. That the people reading this letter are Christians there at the church, and they have been growing. Since Jesus called them to faith, they have been growing in the grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so Peter, as their pastor, as their friend, now encourages them that they need to continue to grow and continue to grow as Christians. Because spiritual growth is natural to the Christian. And specifically to this letter from Peter, spiritual growth is how they will survive the trials and tribulations that's behind why Peter wrote this letter. Such as the Romans coming and, and capturing them and imprisoning them for their faith. How do they deal with that? They grow as they've been meant to do. So the idea isn't that as Peter is saying his goodbye, he says, oh, oh yeah, w- one more thing. Y- y'all need to get growing. Uh, you need to start doing that. Get on that pronto. Rather, Peter is saying, as I close this letter, as your pastor, as your friend, as someone who loves you, I want to encourage you to grow, to continue to grow in the Christian faith because that's what you do as Christians. You've been doing this. So continue to do this. Part of Christian's DNA is the desire to grow. To grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. To grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And to grow in the wisdom that is incarnate in Jesus Christ. So as Christians, we begin to grow in these ways from the very beginning of faith. It's a part of who we are. And so this desire of growth, this progress in growth, also serves as an assurance of faith to us. As I've already mentioned, and we'll discuss more in a few moments, this desire to grow, to grow in the grace of Jesus, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, to grow in the wisdom of God, this desire comes from God. It doesn't come from us. We don't, we don't do this. We don't make this up on our own. It's not part of our sinful nature and desires to want to grow more in the ways of the Lord. What is part of our sinful nature and desires is we want to grow away from, to flee from the ways of the Lord. It's not natural to us. It has to be planted in us. So we discern this desire in us that we want to grow in the ways of the Lord. It must come from God himself. In and through the Holy Spirit, God himself has implanted this desire in our minds and our hearts. So this desire to grow This progress and growth is an assurance of faith to us. Now, why point this out? Because I find that for many Christians, much more than than, than not, go through these times where they can struggle and worry that they aren't really Christians. Something has happened. Maybe a sin has so captured them, or there's just this bad period in their life, and they're wondering, am I really a Christian? They lack an assurance that Jesus has saved them. And what I find is when, when, when they're in this situation, and I can be guilty of this as well, when you're in a situation of lacking of assurance, you, you want God to do some sort of grand display to assure you. Or you, you're begging for God to come down and come to you face to face and say, no, it's okay. Or you want some grand display in nature. You want, you want something so, so big, so, so grand that you can't miss it. But what we find is that God doesn't often work that way. He often assures us through the ordinary, through the the mundane, through the normal. It's not so much that God comes down face to face to us, but he can assure us through growth. Do you desire to grow in the ways of the Lord? Have you discerned that you have grown in grace and knowledge. 
Have you noticed its desire to grow in the wisdom of the Lord? Now, sometimes it's in starts and fits, but have you grown? Is there a desire to grow? And if you can answer yes to any of those, this is God assuring you that you belong to Him. Because that growth isn't because of you. That desire isn't because of you. It's because of God. We want to change. We want to get closer to God. We want to get closer to Him we've ever been. Because of how he has worked this in our hearts. So this desire to grow in grace and knowledge, desire to grow in wisdom is assurance that we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because it's the desire that God puts in us. And it's the desire that God grows in us. And what's interesting, we, we see this assurance of faith in, in, in the first two words of our passage. My son. That's assurance to us. We believe this part of Proverbs was written by Solomon to his son, but in the broader sense, it's also from God to us. So this is God speaking to us as his children of faith. He's saying, my son, my daughter. And from this point forward, he's telling us how we grow in wisdom. But this growth is predicated upon faith. It's upon faith that has brought us into the family of God where we are now known as sons and daughters of the living God. And again, as we've said, this desire and ability to grow in the wisdom of God comes from God himself. So as he calls us to faith in him, so he begins this work in us. So this growth begins with faith. The wisdom of God begins with faith in him. The the desire to grow begins with faith in God. The ability to grow in the wisdom of God begins with faith in God. So when our faith is in God, we find that built into our spiritual DNA is this desire to grow in wisdom. And that God guides us and leads us in the ability to grow in that wisdom. He guides us as our Heavenly Father. And so what we find in this passage is that he is teaching us how we are to grow. My son, my daughter, I've implanted this desire in you. When you follow it out, here's how you follow it out. Now there's something happening here I want to notice, uh, I want to take notice. It's happening here in the Hebrew. It's not, it, it doesn't show in your English Bible. Um, but this passage is structured as an acrostic. And some of you may be reaching years back into your English class. Uh, but an acrostic is where each line or stanza begins with a letter. Here it begins with a letter to Hebrew alphabet. And this literary form was used as an aid to teach and to help memorize. Uh, so if, if you were to look at this passage in the Hebrew, you would see that verses 1 through 11 are anchored and governed by the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. And then verses 12 through 22 are anchored and governed by Lamed, which is the first alphabet of the second half of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter of the second half of the Hebrew alphabet. So why point this out? Because none of us have a Hebrew Bible. I trust none of us have a Hebrew Bible in front of us. Uh, why point this out? Uh, point out to show that God is serious about wanting us to grow in wisdom. That when this was written, it was put in a form that would help the Hebrews to memorize it. So if you were a Hebrew, an Israelite, and you were to come to this, you would see it structured this way, and a light bulb would go on. And you would say, hey, this is something important. I need to know this. I need to learn this. This has been given to me in a form that I recognize as teachable, as memorable to memorize it. So I need to pay attention to this. So it's a sign to us that this is an important passage. 
God so much wants us to grow in wisdom that he has put it in such a way uh, to show us how important it is. One of the commentators I look at uh, to help me guide, uh, to be guided through this book says this. Proverbs 2 is one of the most helpful passages in the Bible because it explains what growth in faith and sanctification and renewal looks and feels like. This passage explains the psychology of change of the Christian mind and heart and therefore life and obedience. And so we find this importance not only in the way this is structured, but the fact that it's really giving us two main points. The flow of this is really breaks down into two main points. God will grow you in wisdom so you can be protected from this world. That's the point. God will grow you in wisdom so you can be protected from this world. So let's start with that first part of that flow. God will grow his people in wisdom. Let's read again the first six verses of this chapter. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We've talked about this before, the Bible broke up into chapters and verses. That's not how it was written. So I want us to think back to what, the, what Solomon just said in the book of Proverbs. He took wisdom and he personified her as a lady who's a street preacher. And, and, and wisdom goes out to all the busy places of life to call people to the blessings of God's wisdom and to warn them of the curses that come if you don't follow God's wisdom. So it's all about wisdom going out trying to get our attention, clamoring us, desiring to come after us. And now Solomon, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, turns around and says, no longer are we talking about wisdom desiring after you, we're now talking about you desiring after it. We're going from this very public setting to this very private setting. God wants us to know his wisdom. That's the public side of it. But there has to be a desire from us as well. Now we see, uh, we, we see this in a way, again, a way it's structured. The word if is used in verse 1 and verse 3 and verse, four, and verse 4. And then to go along with it, the word then in verse 5 and again in verse 9. And so the idea here is that God will grow us in wisdom when we seek it. When we desire and seek it, we find that God is there to guide us along in it. It's a search that's guided by God. But it has to be desired. We have to want it. And when we want it, then God will give it to us. Now, if we go too far with that, then we can end up in legalism. And we can work against grace. Because we can think that as long as I do this, then God will have to bless it. And that's legalism. Legalism is thinking I do something to make God pay attention to me. As long as I do this, then I deserve the grace of God. It's meritorious thinking. But that's not what this passage is saying. It's not working against grace. It's not about us. 
What it's saying is that a Christian will desires growth because God has put it into our hearts. And then God will guide us in that growth. So it's not working against grace. This is all about grace. God is so gracious that he puts that desire in our hearts. And so when we act upon it, it's because he's done it. And then he's there to guide us along the way. We see that in how the verses 1 through 4 escalate in intensity. If you receive, treasure up, making your ear attentive, inclining your heart, calling out, raising your voice, seeking, searching. It's emphasizing that the point that wisdom is not automatic for us. It's not our default setting. We don't naturally run to God's wisdom. We need God to implant that, and he does. And so when we act out on that desire, then he is the one guiding us. So the if here isn't conditional on us, it's conditional on God. It's conditional that he puts that desire in our hearts and our minds, and then he will guide us in that growth. And so that leads us to verses 5 and 8, where we learn, and we've already read it, we'll let you read it again later, where we learn this important lesson about growth. That God's not saying, if you seek me, I will love you more. What he's saying is, if you seek me, you will find me. See, wisdom is finding that you can know God. You can know him personally in ways that will help you and guard you. Wisdom is knowing that God is always there for you. And this wisdom, as we see in verse 7, it comes from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So again, this wisdom, it doesn't come from some secret school, right? It's not, you know, uh, this experience where you go out into the woods and God finds you and he puts his head on your hands and transports that wisdom into your head. Now, wisdom is knowing that it comes uh, from him. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So where do we find that? What's the Bible? The Bible is the mouth of God today. It's the Bible lying open before our eyes. This is how we grow in wisdom. God plants this desire in us, and that desire leads us to his word because that's where he guides us, that's where he grows us, that's where he furthers us in his wisdom. A man tells this story. He says, on my 17th birthday, my mom and dad gave me a new Bible. And when I opened it up, I found that my dad had written this on the inside cover. But nothing could be greater than to have a son. A son who loves the Lord and walks with him. Your mother and I have found this book to be our dearest treasure. We give it to you, and doing so can give you nothing greater. Be a student of the Bible, and your life will be full of blessing. We love you, Dad. That's the wisdom of growth in God through his word, isn't it? This book is our dearest treasure. We can give nothing greater. When we are a student of it, our life will be full of blessing. See, this desire that God plants in us leads us to his word. It's in our spiritual DNA to desire his word more so we can grow in this wisdom. But we go on to find that this growing in wisdom provides us protection. We see this in starting verse 7. He uses words like shield, protection, watch, guard, delivering. That when we are steeped in God's wisdom, then we are protected from this world. When we are students of his word and we are growing his wisdom, then we are being protected from this world. 
as most of y'all know, if not all of you know, uh, for the first part of my life, I grew up in Sumter at Shaw Air Force Base and loved my life there. You can ask my children and my family. They hear stories about it all the time. One of the benefits of living there was safety. And the Air Force Base is surrounded uh, by a chain link fence with barbed wire at the top. And the only way to get into the Air Force Base is at that time they had four entrances, I believe. Each of the entrances had a, had a guard shack. Each of the guard shack, you always had at least two MPs with M16s that were always loaded and German shepherds. And our houses were on the Air Force Base, so the only way that you could get to our house was to go past these two MPs uh, with loaded M16s and German Shepherds. And on side note, this is why I cannot stand German Shepherds. Um, because every year, they would come to our elementary school and they would put a guy in a big foam rubber suit and they would take one of those German Shepherds and sick him on them. And I hate German Shepherds. So of course, a, f- a few years ago, when a dog got loose and, 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 and bit me, it was a German Shepherd, right? It was like my nightmare came true. Um, so anyways, uh, always felt safe growing up. Always felt safe because we were within the protection of that fence. That in order to get to us, you had to come through the might of the Air Force. And what Proverbs 2 tells us is that God's wisdom serves as our protection. God's wisdom builds this fence and this wall around us. God's wisdom is his might protecting us. And we need this protection. Because we, as we see Peter saying in his first letter, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Peter's reminding us, and, 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 and we're often reminded, that Satan is never lazy. He's never inactive. He is always trying to attack us. The, the only safe place we have against Satan is when we are steeped in God's wisdom. And the minute we step away from that, we step outside the fence of God's protection and we are attacked by Satan. And there's so many ways that he attacks us. But this passage talks about two of them. It's not the only two, but it's the two it talks about. And that's men of perverted speech and the adulterous woman. Now, a lot can be said about that, but for the sake of time, we're going to generalize that there are threats. Men of perverted speech are, are, are people who use words to disguise the truth to lead us away from truth. So this isn't just about you know, bad words and dirty limericks, right? This is about even things like good words. Good words that sound good to us, even righteous words, our words, our Christian words, but they're being used to turn things upside down. And that's the background of this word perverted. It's about upheaval. It's turning things upside down and inside out. Words matter. And words should represent reality. They should be true to what it is. But people can use words to twist reality, to flip their meanings into the opposites. Just go and read the different things out there. You find that's what's being done but specifically being done against our faith and against Christianity. I could take you to numerous examples of where people are using the same words that we use, but they mean something different. And by using it differently, they're actually using, uh, they're trying to lead us away from the Lord. These are bad people using good words to smuggle in bad realities. They tell you that bad is good and good is bad. And that's what the world is like nowadays, isn't it? 
All the bad things we're being told are good. And if you think that Christianity is good and the implications of Christianity is good, well then actually that's bad. So we live in a day of perverted speech. What's bad is good and what's good is bad. But if we're steeped in God's wisdom, then we don't fall for that. We may not be able to explain why it bothers us, but we, I think we, we probably have all been in a situation where somebody's talking and we go, that doesn't make sense. They're not saying what they're meaning, or they're not meaning what they're saying. So God's wisdom will enable us. We may not be able to explain it, but we're protected by it. And we're protected by being led astray by those words. Bad being good and good being bad. The other part that protects us it's described in verses 16, 16 through 19, which is about the forbidden adulterous woman. Now, this can apply to either genders. And it's about people who go after the sanctity of your marriage. And so we know we should stay away from people like that. We know we have to treat them as the enemy that they are. But it has a broader sense as well because it talks about culture. And we think about our culture, and our culture is becoming more steadfastly set against the biblical Christian faithful view of marriage. Do you remember when sitcoms were about a man and a woman who loved each other? And they had children? And maybe they got some disagreements or some weird situations. But at the end, the husband and wife still loved each other. And they lived in the same house and they had their children. And think about what shows are like nowadays. Think about what... what uh, just what everything is like. Our, our, our middle schoolers uh, get back from their retreat. Got back from their retreat yesterday, and some of them were upset because they had uh, gone to a toy store downtown Hendersonville. Okay, so we're talking about a toy store. Down the sign on the front of the store says, uh, "We support Pride. Our bears support Pride." If you know anything about Hendersonville, they have different bears stationed around. Now we live in a culture where if you want to go to a, a, a toy store, gay pride. As we said a, a, a few weeks ago, we're coming out that current thinking in some circles of sociology is that marriages thrive best when you're allowed to cheat. That the best thing for your marriage is for you to follow your lust and desire somewhere else. You can have as many Girlfriends or boyfriends or mixture. As long as you still come home at night and take care of your family, that's how marriages thrive. And understand that that that's one of the first volleys. Not one of the first, it's one of the volleys that's being shot against Christian marriage. We live in an adulterous age where pretty much everything is free game. And if you say that it's wrong, then you're a, a callous, idiotic bigot. And you're the problem. So how do we deal with that? We go within the boundaries of God's wisdom. We go within his word. We grow in that wisdom. And we get ready for those shots. But we know the truth. See, growing in wisdom is more than avoiding sin, and we'll end on this point. Wisdom also calls us to walk on the path of everything desirable. Look at the last few verses of this chapter. So you will walk in the way of the good, 
and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This um, this chapter, this passage, really ends with implied questions. Do you want to live a good life? Do you want things to go well for you and for your family? Do you want to enjoy all the blessings that the Lord promises you? That my son, my daughter, give ears to my wisdom. We have the good things. We live the good life in God through his wisdom. It's in our spiritual DNA to grow. So we must grow by following after God and his word, avoiding those that seek to destroy us, so we may walk in ways of blessings that God has designed and planned for us. Let's pray.